The following is a 5 for 2 production. And now, virtually live from somewhere in America, it's the show you love. It's Reverend Todd Baker's What the Hell Was That? America and welcome back to another fantastic episode of What the Hell Was That? Uh, I'm your host, Reverend Todd Baker, and uh, with me as always is my uh, my buddy and my partner in crime, Kevin Monavon. Kevin, how are ya? How you doing, Todd? Doing good, buddy. I, I hear we got some special effects and shit. Uh, uh, we can uh, play with tonight. Oh yeah, uh, the the uh, the uh, yeah. we have a, we have a live studio audience here this evening. Awesome. Very excited. Ooh. Very excited. Very excited to see you uh, back here and on the air. My loyal following, <laughs> and uh, good, 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 good. All right, well, uh, all right. So let's let's get to it. We got a lot to talk about this week. Um, as of right now, uh, our top story tonight: uh, Joe Biden is still the president. Sorry, Trumpies. That's you know just the way it's going to roll. So, uh, uh, as of right now, we are into our second impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. Uh, personally, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I think it's just a bit of uh, political theater. Uh, but you know, I think it will be nice, uh, to, to get, uh, about 44 Republican senators on record saying that they support a man who created a domestic terrorist attack on our national capital. So good. Good. We can get them all on record for that. Uh, it, on another positive note, uh, the QAnon Queen of Georgia, uh, has been permanently kicked off all of her goddamn assignments. So, that bitch can just go troll the internet for fucking tinfoil theories all she wants all goddamn day because she ain't going to have nothing else to do in the House of Representatives for the next two years except wait to get her fucking crazy ass thrown out. So moving on, um, we are uh, we are hopefully in the process now of moving on with the Biden administration and uh, and some of their policy choices. Some have been, uh, you know, controversial already. Uh, for example, uh, uh, stopping the Keystone XL pipeline, which is something that Obama did, Trump undid, and then Biden redid. So it's, you know, this thing's really like, first of all, there's only about 12 fucking people that have been working on this thing, okay? It's not like there's no thousands of jobs being lost, folks. And secondly, we're driving a goddamn pipeline right through Native Americans' back fucking yards, okay? So if you have any respect for the people who were here first, <laughs> then, you know, maybe we shouldn't be running a pipeline through their fucking goddamn, uh, you know, family uh, funeral plots, okay? Let's have a little respect for the Native Americans, please. So, uh, you know, now if, if you, if, for those of you who, who do think that oil and coal are a, are a good solution to our economic woes right now, uh, I'd like to remind you that both those items will run out eventually. So, you know, maybe it's time we actually try to start looking for alternative fuel sources. Now, uh, Kevin and I have discussed this uh, idea several times before, and we've discussed this on the show. I think it's a pretty simple solution. Hemp, motherfuckers! Uh, you know, it's not that easy. Dude, you know, why should we grow corn and then use it 
to make gasoline when we're using up our own food sources. Let's grow some fucking weed and use that for a fuel source, okay? Does that not, how does that not make sense to anybody? And, and then, then folks, let me tell you something. Uh, I come from a long line of coal miners in, in Wheeling, West Virginia. Uh, the only reason my dad didn't become a coal miner is because, well, A, he valued his education, and B, uh, got polio when he was 17. Who the fuck's gonna put you down in a goddamn, you know, coal mine when you can't even fucking walk? He was in a goddamn, uh, you know, iron lung for two fucking years. So, uh, you know, so folks, let me tell you something. Uh, you know, being in a coal mine is not the greatest job in the world. You could ask any coal miner. I'm pretty sure they would tell you if they could make the money they made by going into the fucking ground and risking their goddamn lives every night by staying above ground and growing some fucking weed, I'm pretty sure they choose that option. So, uh, now, again, I'm not downplaying the importance of, you know, oil and, and, and coal and gasoline in our country. It, it has kept a very small handful of people wealthy rich for a long fucking time. Uh, and, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know this or may not understand this, but uh, our country is essentially controlled by a very small number of people who've got a shitload of money. And, uh, and this is not a QAnon conspiracy. I'm not, uh, I'm not talking about the Rothschilds here. I'm talking about the fucking, uh, you know, I'm talking about uh, the Americans, motherfuckers. I'm talking about, uh, you know, the people who are in our steel industry and our oil industry and our newspapers, uh, like the Hearst industry who still fucking have, you know, television and radio stations all across America. So, you know, folks, this has been going on in our country for a long damn time. And, uh, you know, uh, for, for, for those who are, who are complaining about, keeping our children out of school during a pandemic and that our children are suffering because they need to have some sort of social, you know, you know, contact with others. They, they have to be able to live normal lives. Uh, the, the teenage suicide rate is going up. Folks, let me tell you something. hundred years ago, we were putting fucking kids in coal mines. All right. And now these kids feel like they're being, you know, pressured or, or they're being uh, abused because they can't make it to fucking soccer practice or go ride their horse. See, fuck you. Stay home and read a book. You know, I, I got no fucking sympathy for these for these kids. I'm sorry, maybe because I don't have any of my own. But uh, you know, I, I, look, I'm sure it's a bit traumatic for those who are used to having some sort of social life. But let me tell you, folks, as someone who had very few friends in middle school and high school, I really don't think I would have missed out on taking a year fucking off of school. Uh, be happy about it, kids. Lighten up. Uh, you know. Now, as far as the administration is goes. Uh, I, I think we need to take some, some big broad steps early on here. I, I think Joe's doing a relatively decent job for what he's got. Uh, now first of all, he wasn't left with dick when it came to the, uh, you know, the vaccines, uh, available to him and we're still having a very hard time getting his actual vaccines out into the arms of Americans. So obviously that's priority number one. Uh, priority number two is get these fucking checks rolling, folks. I want to buy a car. Let's go. I want a new job. I don't want to go back to working restaurants. I want to fucking drive for Uber or something like that. Be my own goddamn boss. Uh, I'm, I'm sick and tired of having bosses. I've never liked them. I, well, why, why, why should I go back to it? So, uh, so, you know, Joe, let's, let's get this fucking money rolling. And I tell you what, folks, if I can get unemployment through September, I ain't going back to work till October, motherfuckers. Uh, because I know for a fact that I am going to have to spend the rest of my life, no matter how many years that may be, toiling away at some underpaying, uninspiring job that I would rather not be at. So why not just hold off as long as I possibly can? That's my attitude. I'm sorry. I, I may sound like a lazy white American, but 
God damn it. At least I'm getting some writing done. You know, at least I'm getting some podcasts out there. At least I'm actually being, you know, some sort of productive and, uh, and creative human being and doing something that I actually want to do with my life. Like stand-up comedy, for example. Uh, you know, now obviously right now the stand-up comedy market is about as dead as every other entertainment field right now. However, you know, after watching a, uh, a, a five-part documentary on Showtime about the history of the comedy store, I'm kind of inspired, Kevin. I, I you know, to be honest, I don't know, have you, have you seen this special or not? Do you know what I'm talking about? The the uh, the Showtime documentary on on the comedy store. Have you seen this? I have not. Uh, good, um, it's definitely on my watch list, though. Uh, so, you talk I about mean, it, so. I, I basically bought Showtime for a month so I could watch this, and there was a Belushi documentary that I'd never seen before. And uh, so the the, the guy behind uh, the comedy store documentary, I believe, is Mike Binder. I want to say who was uh, a stand up comic back in the day, back in the early days of the stand up uh, comedy store, and uh, you know. Like, like many other comedians, never really made much of a career out of it. But, you know, for some reason now at this point, he's put this documentary together. And it's a beautiful thing. And he knew all these old people, Letterman and whatnot, and, and uh, performed with them back in the day. And, you know, it goes from 72 up to the current day. Uh, personally, I'm a little pissed. I wasn't mentioned once. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, then, then again, I, you know, didn't exactly break out of the comedy store as, as other people did. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised I, I wasn't invited for the reunion back with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, all, all the big celebrities and whatnot. That, you know, and, and to be honest, I, I've never told this story before, but I, I think it's probably because, uh, me and Joe Rogan got into it a couple of years ago. And, uh, I've never told this story. You know, you know, R- Rogan, Rogan rolled into LA about 94. I got there about a year later. And, uh, and he, you know, he was already hot shit by the time I got there because he had just started with news radio and whatnot, you know. But, uh, so we, we got into it one night and I, we were both drinking and, uh, and he, he accused me of uh, stealing a joke from Carlos Mencia. And, uh, so, and, and all, all because at the beginning of the joke, I said, you know, when I was a little boy in Mexico. So I, I, you know, I, you know, I'm not saying I stole it from Carlos and, you know, I'm just kidding. But, uh, anyhow. I know I, I've never met Joe Rogan. I'd love to, I'd love to meet. I'd like to be in a show. Actually, I'd like to be in his million dollar podcast, dude. And then that's actually the the point that I that I think I took away most from this documentary is like all of these people who spent their entire lives working away, you know, honing their craft, uh, you know, toiling in the small clubs and touring these little shitholes, you know, just to get to this up the ladder of comedy success and, and all these people that came through the comedy store and achieved such goals, you know, uh, Richard Pryor and, 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 uh, and Robin Williams and Sam Kinison, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and, and when I went out to Hollywood originally back in 95, that was, that was my goal as well. I mean, I think any standard comedian who, who has ever even gotten up on a stage has thought, boy, if I could, if I could make it there, uh, you know, that's, that's the top of the heap. And, uh, and that, that, that's why I never wanted to move to New York. I never wanted to go to Chicago. I, if I was going to make it in comedy, I was going to make it at the comedy store. And I was very determined in that. Uh, and I was determined I would never steal material. It would always be original. I would always try to be fresh. I would never try to repeat my jokes. I was going to, you know, I was going to take Andy Kaufman and Sam Kennison and Bill Hicks and all that shit and pour it into one big piece of energy. And then, of course, I got stuck with a crazy blonde girlfriend, and just shit went downhill from there. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I read, you know, I see all these stories of these people who, you know, went out to L.A. like Jay Leno. And I was, I was living on the back steps of the comedy store for weeks, living in my car, blah, blah, blah. Folks, I went out there with, like, 30 grand in credit cards, man. And I fucked it all up in six months. 
I mean, Jesus Christ, I had it all, folks. I had, I had you know, I was living in Warren Zevon's apartment in West Hollywood. I had, you know, uh, you know, sure, I had a crazy bitch girlfriend, but at least I was getting head on a regular basis. Uh, you know, and yet I just couldn't keep my shit together, couldn't keep my focus on what was really important. I was spending more time at Barney's Beanery than I was at the goddamn comedy store. Uh, you know, never got to meet Mitzi, never got to even interview with her and nothing like that. I mean, you know, I, and I had these wonderful opportunities, you know, uh, you know, running into Polly Shore at the back of the club. Uh, you know, I handed him my business card and that's it. I should have just fucking hung on him and handed him a joint and fucking hired me. Uh, you know, I never even tried to get a job at the comedy store. Never even thought about it. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to work for him. I want to, I want to be the star, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I got to see Dice Clay work out material like well past his Madison Square Garden days. Uh, you know, when he, when he wasn't smoking, but he was still carrying the thing as a crutch and, you know, basically he's wearing, you know, sweatpants and a sweatshirt. You know, he definitely got rid of the studded leather jacket, uh, at that point. Uh, you know, I was seeing Carlos Mencia before he was accused of stealing shit. Uh, back when he really was fucking funny, folks. Carlos Mencia was fucking funny. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, but again, look, every, everyone, every comedian has a big ego and, and, and a, very, very, uh, very little personal, you know, I can't even describe it. Uh, you know, but it's, ah, well, big ego, small, you know, self-respect, I guess that's really what it comes down to. But, uh, you know, I, folks, I'm telling you, I, I'm not trying to give you a sob story here. I'm, I'm just saying this is what happened to me. I'm back. Okay. Sure. Hey, who's the guy that uh, uh, wrote and produced Freaks and Geeks? And uh, he, you know, he's done a whole bunch of movies now, like, you know, this 40, 40 year old virgin. Uh, yeah, Judd Apatow. Thank you. Thank you, Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. So, have you heard the story about Apatow when he was like, you know, a thir- 16 or so? He, he got the idea on his high school, ra- I guess he was in New York, high school radio station to start interviewing comics. Okay. And for like two years, he would like, you know, con all these comedians and, you know, letting him interview them for the radio station. He wouldn't tell him it was, you know, for a high school radio station. Right, right. And, uh. <laughs> Just like I did for WSR. Yeah. It's the right, big, exactly. uh, Ohio State campus radio station, man. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and so that's, so he did that for like two years and that's how he got into comedy. So he started getting into comedy when he was like 18 in his senior year of high school. You know, I'm, you know, I, Oh, life's opportunities come and gone. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't dwell on the past. But goddamn, man, uh, <laughs> uh, we we can't. I, I, I hope, I hope there, I hope there is an opportunity to get a do over in life. I, <laughs> I, I, I hope when you get up to the gates of heaven, I go, are you happy? It's <laughs> unlimited. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you get to do whatever you want to do. But um, yeah, I know. I mean, I I think about it all the time. It's like, God damn, if I had like the kind of the technology and stuff. If I would have been learning like the stuff I'm doing now in college instead of like oh. the well, antiquated I, fucking shit that was going out of, you know, fucking, it was all obsolete when we were learning it. And, and again, I mean, you know, my senior year when they were teaching that 500 level course and this brand new thing called the internet, I'm like, who the fuck? Come on. Now, get <laughs> I never went to computer lab once in college. So that tells you, you know, I was able to get through fucking five years of college without going to computer on lab. A, once. On a typewriter. I did it. I had a, um, I had a, a word processor, a glorified typewriter, you know, it had a little screen, you know, I type it all in there and then it would print it out, you know. Yeah. But, um. All right. So, all right, back so, to comedy. 
So, Kevin, you know, after watching this, and, and by the way, I really should get a hold of the producer on this one and just contact him, see if he wants to come on the podcast, because now I'm inspired. Uh, you know, by by watching this program, I've come to the realization that, you know, after all this hard work, after, you know, all this effort and all this time to write your material and, and perform on stage and the anxiety and the stress and the travel and blah, 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 all you got to do is fucking start a podcast now and make a million fucking dollars like Joe Rogan. So, dude, you know, we we are way ahead of the curve here, dude. If, uh, you know, we, we, we should we should do a documentary on me and and my lack of success. Uh, even though we started all of this shit well before the goddamn Daily Show. I mean, dude, I, I, you know, the, the original idea for what the hell was that was essentially the Daily Show. I mean, it was, it was gonna be, it was gonna be a ripoff of, of Saturday Night Live's, uh, weekend update. Just basically a half hour of like a fake news program with, and of course this is like, you know, uh, back in the early 90s, so you, you, graphics were not available really for public access kind of thing. We probably could have done it if we did study a little harder. But, um, but I mean, we, we can do that shit now, Kevin. We, we can actually make what the hell was that look like I wanted it to look back in 94. So I, I think, I think we needed to do a little reboot on the show. Uh, you know, take it out of the, out of the, uh, Kiss Shrine here. And, uh, you know, we can, or, or better yet, we, we can do a green screen, ah, green screen and pretend like we've actually got like a news background kind of shit, you know? Todd, you know, there are, um, backgrounds available here on Zoom where we record this. Uh, there you go. So, you know, you just have to play around with that and you can pick, uh, I know right. at, a, at a work meeting today, someone had a nice, uh, you know, I, I should just go back and learn what I should have fucking learned 25 years ago, but, um. So, so, and my, my, my point about the comedy store is this, uh, you know, we need to contact Joe Rogan, we need to get a hold of Mark Marin. Uh, you know, can, can you imagine like hanging out with Mark Marin and Sam Kennison, uh, back in the damn day? Not, I, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on a wall for that little coke fest, but, uh, you know, Jesus. Uh, and again, you know, opportunities had, opportunities missed. What are you going to do about it? You know, you can't cry over spilled milk. However, what I can do is keep going. Keep going, keep pushing. Like as as Rodney Dangerfield uh, once told, uh, uh, once told, um, I'm losing his name now. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey, uh, you know, you got to be like a tank. Uh, you know, keep going. Now you can move the turret left and right, but you got to keep going straight. So uh, God bless Rodney. Uh, you know, smoke weed right to the end. That's you know, that, that's that's my goal. Uh, you know, as as a comedian and as a human being. Uh, just to be puffing away right till that last fucking stroke get you. But, uh, so anyhow, so my, my point is this, folks. We're gonna keep doing more episodes of what the hell was that? Uh, I, I've not, I, the book's almost done. Ticket stubs is almost, we're on the final draft now. Uh, once I get the book done, Kevin, then I can, then I can start calling Mark Marin and start calling Joe Rogan. Uh, so I actually have something to plug. Uh, you know, so, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future here, folks. I, I, there, there's a lot of positivity still, still left, I believe, in this, in this tank. And, uh, so, you know, as, as, as long as the government keeps, uh, my unemployment running through September, <laughs> uh, I, I can, I can look forward to possibly finding a new career. You know, fuck actually moving back to LA, Kevin. I'm not spending 30 grand on fucking rent a year when I'm living here in paradise in Florida for 500, 600 bucks a month. Hell that. I'm just going to go back to LA, you know, once, twice a year, go back for a weekend, you know, hit up the comedy store, hit up the improv, hit up, hit up the laugh factory, you know, 
record the whole damn thing. Hell, we'll make a documentary out of it, Kevin. Uh, you know, shit. Uh, if, if anything, uh, you know, it's, it's the, it's the people, uh, who are telling their stories, whether they're funny or not, tragic, sad. It's, it's the storytellers that are going to start making that money on, on Showtime and on, on, uh, on Netflix and whatnot. So fuck it, man. I, I don't necessarily have to be at the club every damn night, uh, anymore. And, and I, I should have tried harder. Should have, would have, could have. But, uh, I'm not dead yet, folks. And, uh, and you'll, you'll be seeing more, uh, Reverend Todd Baker's What the Hell Is That in the upcoming weeks and months and years. Cause Reverend Todd Baker's running for president in 2024, motherfuckers. Bring it on! <laughs> You're watching Reverend Todd Baker's What the Hell Is That? See you next week. Stop eating grass.